Today's episode of the Ministry Minded Podcast is proud to be partnered with Anchor Podcasts. Anchor is the easiest way for anyone to make a podcast. If you have a latent idea that's just kind of lying around for a show you would like to record one day, I'm confident that anyone could use this platform to host, record, and distribute your podcast, turning your idea into a reality. Anchor puts everything you need to be successful all in one place. You can start a new recording right from your mobile device. They also have convenient creation tools that allow you to edit your audio files so they sound crisp and great. Anchor also distributes your podcast for you, letting listeners find your show almost everywhere, including Spotify, Anchor Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and several others. And best of all, it's free. There are no hosting fees or monthly subscriptions or minimum listener counts, just an easy-to-use platform to get your podcast out there at no cost to you. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm today to get started. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Ministry Minded Podcast, a show that seeks to marvel at the mercy of God that meets us in our messy ministries. I'm your host, Brad Gray, and this is episode number 24. In today's show, I'm honored to speak with Landon Coleman. Landon is the lead pastor of Emanuel Baptist Church in Odessa, Texas, and besides pastoring a church, he's also the curator of RegularPastor.com, a blog that reaches out to pastors right where they are. He's passionate and he's adamant about speaking to regular pastors and reminding them that their identity is tied to Christ, not their performance and not their success as a pastor. And so whether you're a pastor or a church member, I think this episode will greatly encourage you as Landon and I speak to the regular realities of the Christian faith and endeavor to continually point you back to Jesus Christ. Today's show is brought to you by the Christian Standard Bible. The Christian Standard Bible offers an optimal blend of accuracy and readability, which inspires lifelong discipleship and helps readers make a deeper connection with God's Word. To find out more about the Christian Standard Bible, go to csbible.com. Now, for Landon Coleman. Let's uh, just sort of start with... You know, somewhat the, uh, of the basics, why don't you just introduce yourself and your ministry there in Odessa? Yeah. So I am the senior pastor, preaching pastor, whatever you want to call it, at Emanuel Baptist Church in Odessa, Texas. Uh, Odessa is an oil field community out in West Texas, about 100,000 people. And uh, like I said, been here for about four years, going on four years. I'm married. And uh, my wife's name is Brooke. We have four kids. Oldest is 11 and youngest is two. So between uh, church and my wife is an accountant and kids, we we stay pretty busy. (laughs) I'm sure. I'm just stepping into that game. I had my first my first daughter this year, so she's about nine months, ten months. So uh, uh, I'm just stepping into that busyness of being a father. (laughs) Awesome. That's exciting. It is very exciting. I wouldn't trade it for anything, for sure. Absolutely. Um, I know that you have uh, somewhat of an extensive ministry background, and I know that you've only been at Emmanuel for four years. Um, sort of share, if you can, the story of how God brought you from where you were before to where you are now at Emmanuel. Sure. Well, I grew up in Amarillo, Texas, and um, when my wife and I decided that we were going to pursue something in ministry, we didn't really know what that looked like. Uh, we started looking for seminaries and the easy choice for us, we grew up in a Southern Baptist background. The easy choice for us was Southern seminary. 
because of the the doctrinal distinctives there and the faculty there. So we ended up in Louisville and uh, we lived there for a couple of years. We kind of had this master plan that we would move to Louisville and she would work. We didn't have any kids, so she was going to work and I was going to knock seminary out. And then we were going to run back to Texas as quick as we could. And after a couple of years, when we tried to do that, just there were no open opportunities. Uh, partly that was because uh, of being a Texas guy who went to Louisville instead of Fort Worth um, for a lot of folks out in Texas, at least at the time. And I think still even now, that's kind of a red flag of where you stand theologically. Um, so that that may have been part of it. And Honestly, a bigger part of it is I had no experience and I was 24 years old and didn't know anything about anything. So rightly, nobody wanted to hire me. (laughs) Um, So we ended up staying in Kentucky. I did a Ph.D. at Southern Seminary in evangelism and church growth. Uh, And then along with that, pastored a small church in Frankfort, Kentucky. And uh, it was a it was a great opportunity for me to continue my education, which is something that um, because of my age, because I was so young, that was very helpful for me, especially in the PhD setting, getting to walk through a sort of with a cohort of guys, all of whom just about were older than me and more experienced than me, getting to learn from them. And then also getting to pastor, uh, getting to learn how to preach, getting to learn how to care for folks. Mm. So we did that, uh, stayed four more years. and. actually ended up in Oklahoma and we were in Western Oklahoma, just outside of Oklahoma city at uh, first Baptist church in Kingfisher. Loved the church, loved the town. Uh, it was a really great place for my family. And then sort of just out of the blue in the fall of 2013, I got an email from a search team or a, a search committee here in Odessa. Uh, they were looking for a pastor. They did not know me, but they knew my wife because my wife grew up in Odessa and she actually grew up here at Emmanuel. Uh, My father-in-law was saved at Emmanuel. He can take me to the spot in the sanctuary where (laughs) as an adult, he accepted Christ, which is kind of a cool thing. So they knew my in-laws and they were just in the early stages of sort of the deluge of, you know, hundreds of resumes that a church gets when they're looking for a pastor and looking at all these anonymous faces and saying, you know, some of these feel like such a gamble because you don't know any of these people. And so they just kind of put a pause on all those resumes and said, let's shake the trees for anybody that we may know or have some kind of relationship with. Hmm. So through my wife and my in-laws, they knew about me and reached out to me. And we weren't exactly looking to leave uh, where we were in Oklahoma, um, but through a number of different conversations and circumstances sort of decided that this was a, an opportunity that God was leading us towards. And so um, Emmanuel was a, a, a blowing and going church back in the day. They'd kind of fallen on hard times and had some leadership issues. So it was a little bit of a, re, uh, a revitalization project, but it's been a, a great couple of years that we've been here and uh, we uh, we're excited to be a part of this church and what God's doing through it. That's awesome to hear how God draws you and takes you to different places. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's always cool to hear those kind of stories. Um, 
I will ask you though, because I know for me, uh, I grew up um, in the church, of course, my dad was a pastor and all those sorts of things. And I, I always somewhat knew that I was going to be in ministry uh, later in life. Um, but when did you first sort of feel, you know, for lack of a better phrase, God's call towards the ministry? Yeah, for me, it was a little bit different. Um, I grew up attending one church all of my uh, my growing up years in Amarillo. And my mom was actually the children's uh, director or children's minister, whatever you want to call it, at that church for, for all of that time. Um, so we were, you know, we were definitely churched kids and grew up in a church environment. Um, I went to college just sort of planning on getting a business degree and working. Really didn't have any clear calling or aspirations. Just, you know, you go to school, you get a degree, you get a job. And in my time at college, I uh, met my wife and we got married in, in college, uh, which meant we were dirt poor, like we had nothing. We both worked part-time jobs and we were both full-time students and we were scraping by. And uh, the missions pastor at our church, Tracy Ward, came and I think it was at a football game or a basketball game one night. He came and sat by me and he said, hey, man, I can get you a free apartment. And I'm like, well, what's the catch? There's always a catch. And he said, the catch is you got to do X number of ministry hours at this apartment complex. And it was a, a ministry model based off of uh, some stuff uh, that started in the DFW area. And so basically, you, you pick an apartment complex. They've got vacancies. They provide a free apartment. Um, we move into that free apartment, and then we provide community services for the residents. Maybe that's childcare, maybe that's free breakfast, maybe that's Bible studies, maybe that's cookouts. Um, and it just sort of becomes a perk for the apartment complex. And then the church comes in as the third partner and pays for those activities so that we're sort of their on-campus missionaries. Hmm. So, I mean, just to be real honest, our initial motivation behind it was we can do it and we need the apartment. So <laughs> we jumped on and, and took a free apartment. And it was in that year of ministry that we really started wrestling with uh, ministry sort of vocationally and thinking that God was leading us in that way. And I, at least for us, I don't know how it is for a lot of other guys. I know I know God deals with people differently. You know, we went through stages where we thought missions was what God was calling us to. We thought youth ministry was what God was calling us to. We thought church planning was what God was calling us to. And um, it really wasn't ever just a, a super clear, hmm. here's the path laid out before you kind of thing. It was just kind of a one step at a time, God opening opportunities. Uh, you know, like I said earlier, we, we had this plan of, well, we'll go to Louisville, we'll bump back to Texas. And it, it didn't work out that way. We eventually made it back, but our two-year plan became a 10-year plan pretty quick. Hmm. And so we've never sort of seen the end game and in, in what God was leading us to. But for us, it's just been sort of a step-by-step -step, uh, leading and trying to discern what he's put before us. Hmm. Well, I think that's so important, uh, just taking whatever opportunities in front of you to minister, uh, because I know for me, uh, the last couple of years, as I've been sort of somewhat, you know, waiting on the Lord to, you know, hopefully give me that quote unquote clear direction. 
it's become somewhat, uh, you know, I've just become somewhat like just, uh, uneasy and just, uh, because it doesn't appear as though the Lord was bringing it to fruition. <laughs> and yeah. so at, at times I can be just very impatient. <laughs> and I know yeah. a lot of guys can feel the same way. And it's just a matter of now that I look back, you know, in the last couple of months, uh, it's so important to just take whatever opportunity is in front of you instead of looking ahead yeah. to whatever perceived position that you have in your head, your, your idea of what your ministry will look like. You yeah, are, I can think, you're I can a minister about, right I can think now. About guys at uh, at seminary, I knew who, you know, they had this end game in mind mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. this is what I'm called to do. <laughs> and I, I guess I don't question that, you know, just completely. But there was such a focus on the end out there. Yeah. That, like you said, they missed some of the opportunities that were right in front of them for you know well that's not my calling well that's not what i'm interested in well that's well sometimes that's what god puts right in front of you that's right not necessarily a stepping stone but it certainly may be preparation yep for that in-game goal so yeah uh, i know that's a that's a challenging thing for guys to wrestle with yeah i know it firsthand and so uh but it's it's so important to be faithful in those little opportunities that are just right in front of you and I don't really want you to um, retread some of uh, the ground you've already covered. I know I'm, I will just give you a shout out. The regular pastor podcast is a, a very uh, great listen. So if anyone hasn't listened to it, I highly recommend it. But I do want to somewhat speak to the realities and some of the misconceptions of what you call a regular pastor. Um and I say that because I've been somewhat obsessed with, uh, especially this year, with the idea of being, you know, a quote unquote regular or normal pastor. And uh, so I just, um, how would you sort of, well, I mean, as, as we can just start there, how would you sort of define what a regular pastor is? You'd think if I have a blog called The Regular Pastor, I would <laughs> have some idea of how to define that. <laughs> I don't know that I do, but. You know, when I started blogging a couple years ago, I didn't know anything about it. And I just sort of got on WordPress and I'm not a super creative guy. So I just went with landingcoleman.com and <laughs> I really didn't think about it. And after a, a couple of years of doing that, I thought, well, I don't know. That's kind of presumptuous just to name it after yourself. Come up with something <laughs> not quite so focused on you. And uh, I ended up with regular pastor. I, I think in my mind, um, you look at church growth statistics and what's happening in the United States, it definitely seems like large churches are getting larger, um, whether that's through just on-campus growth or adding campuses. Um, the bigger getting bigger and the smaller getting smaller in the sense that I, I just look around the towns where I have pastored, the places I've served. And there are so many churches that back in the day, they were blowing and going places, but today they're struggling. And you just look at the demographic and you say, man, in a couple of years, you're going to be dead. You're just literally going to die out. Um, and I think in that environment, it can feel like um, the only place that good things are happening is large churches. And I think social media 
feeds into that perception mm. of, you know, you hear about what large churches are doing more. They, they advertise more. There's more publicity. There's more uh, Facebook or Twitter presence or whatever. And I think sometimes we just sort of forget the regular churches. Yeah. And even though large, large churches are growing and some smaller churches are sort of disappearing, if you just look at the numbers, most people who attend church in the United States attend a, a regular church, not a ginormous megachurch. Mm-hmm. And their pastor is, you know, responsible for 50, 100, a couple hundred, 300 people. Um, small to medium is still normal. Mm-hmm. And I just think sometimes we lose sight of that. And we see the guys on the conference platform. We see the guys who get published. We see the guys who have a an impressive social media presence. And we sort of sometimes begin to think that that's normal. And if that's not where you're at, you look at that and you're, it's totally discouraging. If you're not the, the guy on the conference platform or if you're not the guy being published or if you're not the guy with, you know, X number of people in your church on a Sunday, you start to think, well, what am I doing wrong? Mm. And I, I think for me, it's just good to remind myself like normal Normal is not that celebrity style of of pastoring, and that's not in any way a knock on the guys who do that. Um, but normal is the guy who who oversees a small to medium sized church, and uh, I, I don't know. I, I think in my mind, I I wanted to go with the idea of regular pastor just to sort of remind myself, like you are right where most pastors are at. Most pastors aren't Matt Chandler. Most pastors aren't Mark Dever. And to be in a a quote unquote regular situation is not a reflection on how you're doing things or how well you preach or how well you lead. It's just where God has you. And quite frankly, it's where God has most guys. So I I don't know that I gave you any kind of definition. (laughs) No, it's good. Um, Um, The reason why I'm so... The reason why your blog really resonated with me is because I'll just share this short story. It's because early this year, I I took a a youth pastoring job and I thought it was going to be, you know, quote unquote, that job that would really make a name for myself. And um, very quickly, early, very quickly in through the process of getting into that position, I I realized that number one, I wasn't doing it for the right reasons. And number two, I wasn't in the right place. And so very quickly, I had to leave that position. It was sort of more, somewhat of a, you know, identity crisis because um, I left. I left a ministry. I thought this ministry was going to be, you know, quote unquote, the one. And uh, I went through a period of just very, uh, dis- uh, very deep depression um, because I thought, you know, I was going to be a pastor and that this was going to be a job that was going to get me. Uh, lots of accolades and all those sorts of things. And I came to the realization that I was doing it. I wasn't pastoring to pastor. I was pastoring for the title. And I think a lot of guys, you know, and I'm not harping on social media, but I think one of the downfalls of it is that we can view that, you know, as you said, as normal when it's really not. Um, And if you become somewhat like I did, um, 
almost uh, craving after that platform, that's when you realize that you're not ministering for the right reasons. And yeah. I think it was, it was good for me to go through that um, because now I really have a heart for, as you said, regular ministry, not trying to make a name for myself, but to uh, minister to people that really need it, yeah. <laughs> people that are hurting. Uh, and I read this book. Um, I don't know if you've read it before. Zach S. Wines, The Imperfect Pastor. Mm. Um, it's one of the most powerful uh, books that I've read. And he defines, I would say, a regular pastor as one who does small, mostly overlooked things over a long period of time. Well, like I think for a lot of guys, that's not what they have in mind when they think of a pastor. They think of guys getting on the conference circuits. They think of guys with a large social media presence. And I think one of the hearts behind what I do and what I want to do is to sort of redefine how we think of what a pastor should be. Uh, because most of the things that a pastor does, I'm sure you're familiar with this, are never praised. They're never recognized. They're never seen. But nevertheless, that's what you're called to do. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think you're dead on on the social media deal. And this is not to like say social media is evil. I mean, we're recording a podcast that is a form of social media. You know, we're throwing exactly. it out there. Um, I have a Facebook account. I have a Twitter account. I mean, I, I, I have a blog. We're all familiar, though, with with people who get on Facebook and they see all these smiling pictures of their friends <laughs> and their families and they have this illusion, even though they know better, they have this illusion that everyone else's family is doing so much better than theirs. And it's just a, it's a facade. It's a, it's a front of people showing you the best five seconds of their month. And then we evaluate everything based on that. And if anyone is susceptible, uh, susceptible to temptation in the comparison game in social media, it's pastors. Yeah who yeah. see a post of a guy at a conference or see a post of a guy at his church or see a post of a guy, you know, talking about his latest book or whatever. None of us get on social media and post like, you know, I had the worst day of ministry ever. <laughs> or, you know, I got, I got reamed out by somebody over this or that. Mm. Uh, pastors, you know, we post the things we celebrate and then you play the, the exact same comparison game. And you start to look at your ministry compared to a a social media post, and there is no there's no way to compare the two, mm -mm. and it's total. It can can be totally discouraging, uh, and it's a dangerous game. You know, pastors certainly need to connect with people over social media, but it's just a very dangerous game to play when you start the the comparison game uh, to other ministries or other authors or other preachers or other churches or whatever. So exactly. So true. And I would say like one of the things like you were saying is that the, the pastor who is on Twitter with hundreds and thousands of followers is not more spiritual than the pastor who's visiting a hospital at 2 AM yeah. uh, because it's one of his dearest, you know, older members of the church who is, um, on the deathbed. And so I think there's a reality there that we forget of what a true minister looks like. Yeah. And I think um, 
Well, and I'll, how do you think we combat that? How, how do we com- how does a pastor combat the comparison game? I think for me, um, the most helpful thing, and it's something I, it's something I was introduced to before I became a pastor, but it became more real to me after I became a pastor, um, is the idea of just discipling small groups of men. And for me, it came from Robert Coleman's The Master Plan of Evangelism. Um, I read it in, in my, my MDiv studies. I basically had to memorize it in my PhD studies and we talked about it and we did reviews on it. And it was, you know, one of our comprehensive exam questions. And um, at the time it was good information to throw in my brain, but in serving as a pastor in fighting this comparison game, I go back to that book all the time. And I say, Jesus's approach to ministry. Yes, there were crowds. Yes, there were masses who followed and showed up, but the real strategy was to invest heavily in about a dozen men so that when he was gone, they would lead the whole thing. Mm. And that meant at times that he walked away from the crowds. That meant at times that he seemingly tried to offend the crowds and to sort of thin the herd a little bit, which is goes against so much of modern ministry philosophy. <laughs> Um, he, it means that when people walked away, he didn't try to talk them into staying. He just let them walk. And his focus was on developing 12 men. And he just poured everything he had into those guys for a few years. And I come back, you know, in my ministry, when I can just think of when I was a pastor in Kentucky, our church was five miles outside of town in the middle of nowhere. And the, the town was 30, 40,000 people. It's not a huge town. And you're outside of that, out in the country. And I just remember sitting in my office out there thinking, like, how, how can you influence the world here? I'm in the middle of nowhere. And then God moves me to Oklahoma. And I'm out in a town of 4,000 people, which to me just felt like I'm in the middle. I'm in a cow pasture. I'm in the middle of nowhere. I'm in a wheat field. How can you change the world? And then God moves me to Odessa, which is just out in the middle of nowhere. We talked before we recorded about how far Odessa is from anything that anybody mm-hmm. knows about. I mean, we're totally in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> and I, you just think, how can I make a, a big impact? Mm-hmm. And the answer is not to have masses of people following you. But the answer is to pour deeply into a handful of guys. That's right. To just to basically go through Coleman steps of you got to select guys, you got to invest in guys, you got to disciple them, you got to prepare them to serve, you got to turn them loose to serve, and and that's what Christ did. And to me, especially over the last couple years, that's become my real strategy. Yes, I want people to show up on Sunday. Um, Yes, I want people to read my blog. Yes, I want to you know have the the large scale impact at times, but I've just had to continually preach to myself that the lasting impact is not going to be in those things. It's going to be in the men that God places in my life that I can disciple and, and walk through the word with and invest in. Yeah. Um, So that's been a great encouragement to me. I know. Yeah. Well, and (laughs) 
that that is very true and i think also the realization and it's not you know it's not a cynical realization but it's the realization that you don't have to change the world yeah and i think you know as a young guy going into seminary we often have these wide eyes that i'm going to be the next great reformer and mega church preacher and i'm going to change all these um all these countries and I'm going to change the world for the sake of the gospel. And the simple realization is um, that's, I don't know if that's anyone's necessarily calling. God can certainly do that through particular men through, he's done that through particular men throughout history. Um, But that's, (laughs) that's not everyone's uh, trajectory. (laughs) So I'm, I'm curious on your thoughts on that because I've, I've had some conversation with guys lately about, you know, everyone at seminary or everyone just starting out in ministry or everyone who's new to the mission field has this optimism, this idealism, this excitement, this, you know, just ready to like, ready to be the guy that everyone says, Oh, David Platt wrote radical about this guy. He's the guy that's going to change everything, you know, Mm -hmm. as professors, as pastors, as ministry leaders, should you try to tamp that down in young guys? Should you encourage it in young guys? Should you let them learn it for themselves? Do you just cut their legs off before they get started? I, I, don't know, I don't know how to think through that. I don't know if I have the answer for that either. That's a very good question. I think there is a healthy ambition we should have and a healthy zeal we should have for the gospel, uh, especially as a, you know, a, minis- a missionary going to a foreign field. There should be a healthy optimism optimism we have, but I think it should always be curtailed with the fact that, as Paul says, I'm not the first one who watered this area and I'm not going to be the last one. And, you know, there was a, I went to, there was a great quote and it just came back to me. Uh, I went to the normal pastor conference in Orlando that Gerald Wilson kind of set up. And one of, (laughs) one of the quotes from what his session was, uh, you may be watering the plants that you never get to watering the trees. You never get to enjoy the shade of. Mm. And I think that's the kind of the, the feeling we have to have, not that we're going into a ministry or going into a field of ministry that is with a sense of um, defeat that we're never going to see a soul saved. But I think we have to go into it knowing that, it doesn't matter because God has already secured the ultimate victory in Jesus. And yeah. whether we see a thousand or whether we see one, our victory is not in that it's in Christ's blood for me. I yeah. think, I think, if, I think it, maybe it won't always help you <laughs> when you don't see soul saved. Maybe it won't always seem as real uh, that reality, but that's the reality. I think, as you said, we have to keep preaching to ourselves yeah. and it's not to, cut the legs off of, uh, zealous seminarians. I think it's too, uh, I think that's, I think that's a message that will actually make them more motivated because they realize that the results of their ministry aren't really up to them. They're up to someone else, someone much, much wiser and much more powerful than them. No. And I think, I think you're right. I think there's definitely a doctrinal component to that. And I think this is an issue where I think reformed reform theology is pretty practical mm-hmm. because 
if you're going into a new ministry and you really believe in total depravity, that's going to temper your optimism a little bit. <laughs> that's going to, you know, that's going to sort of take some of the pressure off of you in just realizing your method, your strategy, your excitement, your zeal is not enough to drag people out of death. Mm. Um, and then just thinking about, you know, election. That should give you some optimism that God is going to use you. He has people and he is going to sovereignly call them out. Mm -hmm. But it's not going to be everybody. And there are going to be those who are hard hearted and those who are not, uh, you know, sovereignly drawn. And there's going to be resistance. Um, so I, I think Reformed theology is pretty practical there and just maybe giving you a realistic view of what ministry is going to be like and the hardness of people's hearts and the power of God's grace to change that. Um, so it's, it's definitely more than just a, you know, a theological debate uh, or a theological talking point, but I think it's, it's something that can sustain you and undergird you in ministry. So, yeah. And I think that's what makes it so, hard is because that that monotony and that mundane part of not only just ministry but the christian life that's really you know where it says work out your own salvation with fear and trembling that's where the real work is yeah is going through every day every week you know as a pastor there's hardly a week where there's not a problem with people in a church um my dad always sometimes joked that ministry would be really easy if it weren't for the people, <laughs> but the people are the ministry and their problems that come because of the brokenness of sin. That's what you're called to. Yeah. And, um, that sort of monotony of always having another issue to work through and talk to, that's what you're called to. And I think that's where the real work comes into play. And that's yeah. where we have to really rely on the faith of God for us is to remain faithful in those mundane events and those monotonous problems that seem to never be ending. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, you, you mentioned Coleman's sort of master plan of evangelism. What, what would you, what would you say are some other helpful books that have really resonated with you uh, as you've grown and as you've ministered, uh, not only there at Odessa, but throughout your whole uh, sort of ministry background. Yeah. I, you know, I, I talked about Platt's book, Radical, and I like, I love uh, David Platt. I'm so grateful for his leadership. You know, I am, I am a, a Southern Baptist pastor, so I'm thrilled to have him leading the IMB. Um, and I, I do like the thoughts that he shares in Radical. Uh, I don't want that to sound disparaging. I think a good balance for me in reading Radical is, um, I think it's Ordinary by Horton. Super it, book. Yeah, just kind of, you know, I don't know that there's anything in there that contradicts the ideas you see in Radical, but I think it just sort of tempers it for the guy who finds himself at kind of a regular church to say, Faithfulness for you may not be winning this unreached people group to the Lord or leading some mass revival. 
faithfulness and success in your ministry may just be plugging away, loving people, preaching the word, making disciples, and it all looks very small. It's very unnoticed. It's very, you know, sort of behind the scenes. But that may be what God's called you to. In fact, it's probably what he's called most pastors to. Mm -hmm. And uh, I know that that was encouraging for me. Not to, not to, you know, lower your sights on what you think the gospel can do in people's lives or um, not to give up on any big ministry goals or dreams, but just to be a little bit realistic and to say, you know, what does faithfulness look like for me where mm. God has called me? I know that was a helpful, a helpful book for me to read through. Mm. Yeah, I just read through it this year uh, and I thought it was fantastic. The message of it uh, was supremely uh it's resonated with me a lot and mm. uh, i really appreciate the work that uh, horton did and wrote in that book yeah um, are there any others or um if you're talking about ministry in particular um i know one that i i seem to go back and use a lot is packers evangelism and the sovereignty of god mm. and that's been pretty uh, impactful in my life from an evangelistic standpoint, but also in a disciple making standpoint. Um, at our church, we've we've got a a pretty vibrant missions partnership right now in Kenya, and one of the things we've tried to be very intentional about is training our people. That when we go over, um, how can we best share the gospel, and how can we avoid some of the mistakes that that people commonly make. And so I know in in my day in and day out practice of sharing the gospel with people, that book is foundational. Just in the idea of you start with God and his holiness, you hammer home the idea of sin, you show them how Jesus is the answer, and you call people to repent and believe. I think that's such a great framework uh, for me that I use every time I talk to somebody about about the gospel whether that's a child or a college student or uh, an adult. Um, and it's also been something that we've, we've implemented here and tried to train our people in. Um, so I know that that's sort of a, a theological book, uh, but is also very practical. And it's something mm -hmm. that we've, um, we've, we've used a lot lately. And I know just for, I'm just thinking off the top of my head, uh, our staff here and our elders here read together and study things together. And the last book that we've read is the holiness of God by Sproul. Mm. And it's one of the few books that I go back and I read over and over and over again. And uh, for most of our leadership, um, it was the first time that they had read it. And I'm just struck every time I read it at the effectiveness of that book. It's so short and it's so simple and it's not difficult theology but it's powerful theology in just reshaping the way that I think about God. Mm -hmm. I think we all have this drift just naturally to bring God down to our level. I think that's just part of sin in our lives. Um, and for whatever reason, that's been a book for me that as I go back to it is just helpful in helping me to think about God as he really is. And I know it's been helpful for our leaders uh, as we've read through it over the last couple of weeks. Hmm. Yeah, that's a very powerful book for sure. Um, I almost forgot to mention this. Um, and I'm glad I just remembered it, though. I know that you wrote a book last year called uh, 
pastor to pastor practical advice for regular pastors. Yeah. And I just wanted to sort of talk about that book. And this might be going back to what we were talking about earlier, but uh, just if you can sort of talk about the motivation behind that, uh, behind that book and why you think it was uh, so necessary. So after, after serving as a pastor for about uh, 10 years, um, this was after, after we had moved to Odessa, um, I just kind of was reflecting on, you know, the first church I pastored in Kentucky, we were there for about four years and thinking about our experience there. And then the experience in moving to Oklahoma and we were there for about four years. And then we moved to Odessa and kind of in a, I guess, a, a contemplative mode, uh, or season and kind of just looking back and thinking, what things would I do differently if I could go back and hmm. sort of relive those years? Or what things would I tell myself if I could go back? I talk about this in the introduction of the book. If I could, you know, be Marty McFly and hop in the DeLorean and go back in time 10 years and tell the young guy who was about to serve at his first church, here's a list of things you need to know. Um, what would I say to him? And I don't think doctrinally I had, I would have a whole lot to say to myself. I felt like, um, my reading, my study, my seminary experience, experience was great on a doctrinal level, but I'll be honest when I became a pastor, like, what do you do day one? Like (laughs) when, you know, you, you've got an office, you've got the title, you've got the little plaque on your desk. What, what do you actually do? And so I just wrote the book to sort of be, um, advice to myself. Um, if I could go back in time and I just talk about things all the way from as you're meeting with search committees or you're meeting with the elders of a church in view of a call, what do you need to think through and what do you need to be prepared for? And what is it like to serve as a a regular pastor? And even going up through, is it okay to leave? And how do you say goodbye? And how do you transition when, when God's moving you to a new place? And, uh, you know, if I'm honest, the book was a little bit self-indulgent and just thinking about my experience and things that I wish I had known or could go back and tell myself. But I I also hope it's helpful for guys who are on that front end of ministry Mm. uh, trying to figure out, okay, what do I do day one? How do I talk to search committees or how do I tell my church goodbye or how do I get involved in my community? And I hope there's some things in there that help guys figure out um, what it actually looks like to serve as a regular pastor or a regular youth pastor, a regular worship pastor, whatever. Um, so there you go. The guys at Rainer were nice enough to, to publish it. And, uh, I hope it's been helpful for some folks. Yeah. I'm looking forward to reading it. It's definitely on my uh, wish list. So <laughs> I hope I can get it and work through it one day. Um, but sort of as we bring this conversation to a close, I, I always like to ask this question to some of my guests um, because the bulk of what I write is and what I'm geared towards and what I'm passionate about is, is as we were talking about, um, is impacting other young guys who are thinking about ministry or who are going into the ministry and impacting them with somewhat of the um, – the realities of gospel and pastoral ministry somewhat, you know, taking the wool off of their eyes and letting them realize what's sort of behind the mirror, so to speak. Um, 
And so if you were allowed to say one thing or a few things to an audience of young men, what would that, you know, quote unquote, best piece of advice for those young guys, what would that be, you think? I think I would throw a couple of ideas at them. One would be, I really do think doctrine matters. Um, I really do think reformed theology matters. I think it shapes and changes the way that you view ministry. Hmm. I think it gives you a realism and an optimism for the gospel. Um, I think it prepares you for the man who's going to walk into your office and he's a leader in your church and he's a leader in your community. And he's going to walk in and say, you know, with the door closed, my wife has caught me. I'm addicted to pornography or, um, I've, I've had an affair and my wife has caught me. And, uh, I think it prepares you for the, the realities of that kind of shock when you're a pastor. Um, and I think it gives you hope when you find yourself in just a, a place where you don't seem to see a whole lot of results. Hmm. It gives you hope in your ministry. And so I, I know we talked about that already. I don't want to beat that drum too much, but I do think doctrine matters. I would talk to pastors, um, pr prospective pastors, young pastors. Um, if I just had to pick a couple, two or three practical things, I think one would be the issue of pornography and the danger of that. And that's just because, I, I mean, I, I still feel like I'm a young pastor. I've been doing it for about a decade. And I can just think of dozens of guys who have shipwrecked their ministry because of pictures and videos on the computer screen or on a cell phone screen. Um, so I would, I would tell guys that that's a fight that you got to be ready to engage in and be serious about if you don't want to just forfeit everything that, that God wants to do through you. Um, I would talk to them about pride and the social media things that you and I have discussed hmm. that you cannot play the comparison game. And if you really believe that God is sovereign and you really believe that God's in control, you've got to believe that he's got you exactly where he wants you. Yep. And if you're not up on the platform stage, that's part of God's plan. And you need to be okay with that. Um, I think I would talk to guys about loneliness. Huh. Um, one of the things that's been different about serving here in Odessa is that the pastors I meet seem to be disconnected and lonely. So in Kentucky, there was a pretty good, you know, network of guys. We were so close to Southern Seminary that uh, there's sort of a, a natural relational bridge there uh, that connected pastors. In, um, in Oklahoma, we had a really great local association. So the pastors were connected well to each other. And even in outside of our denomination, just in our, in the town of Kingfisher, there was connection between the, the pastors there uh, for fellowship and, and things like that. Here in Odessa, and maybe it's unique to our town, maybe it's, it's more like reality than what I've experienced before, but pastors are just, they sort of feel like they're on an island. Um, they sort of feel like they're doing it alone. Um, 
the church I serve in has elders. And so that is not just a biblical issue, but practically it's a great help for me on this issue of loneliness because I have men that walk with me in leading the church. But I talk to guys all the time here in Odessa. They're the, the sole senior pastor of their church and they just, they don't have an outlet. They don't have true friends. They don't have, you know, they're, they're friendly with a lot of people in the community and in their church. But when it comes to real friends, they're lacking. And so I think I would try to talk to young guys about the importance of that. You've got to have friends. You got to find a way to connect with other pastors and guys who are walking through the same sorts of things you're walking with, whether that's people in your church you're serving with or outside of your church, you've got to find that. Um, at least where I'm at now, I know that's a big issue that I see. So I don't know. Those are a few things that come to mind when I think about young guys just getting into ministry. Mm, Those are really good. Those are really good, Landon. Thank you. And thank you um, for taking the time this morning. I know it's early where you are uh, for coming on and just chatting with me a little bit. I appreciate what you shared and appreciate your heart for ministry. And uh, I know I'll be looking forward to continue reading and learning from you. And uh, I hope one day our paths are able to cross. (laughs) Absolutely. I enjoyed the conversation and uh, hope we get to do it again soon. Yes, definitely. Thanks. And thanks again to Landon for taking the time to come on the show today. I personally found this episode just very encouraging, extremely blessing, and I pray that you did as well. Be sure to follow him on Twitter and go check out his website, regularpastor.com. You can find those links in the show notes. And that's it for today's episode of Ministry Minded. Thanks so much for listening along. If you like what you just heard, be sure to give the show a follow on Twitter. And you can also subscribe to the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, and on YouTube. Thanks again to the Christian Standard Bible for sponsoring the show. And thank you, as always, for listening, commenting, and subscribing. I'll see you on the next episode. Blessings. Blessings.